Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church Owasso Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. Why doesn't God do something? Nathan's cancer. Sally's arthritis. Kay's persistent joint pain. Our children who have wandered from the Lord. The brokenness of the world. Why doesn't God do something? If you have your sermon outline, I'd encourage you to take it out, and I want you to hear the main point of what this parable is about. This is called a kingdom parable. And as we talk about the nature of the kingdom this Advent, I want to help you recognize that the kingdom of God is his rule and his reign. It goes wide to the world and it goes deep to the heart. And all the parables of the kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13 can be found in Mark and Luke. But only in verse 24 does Matthew uniquely put a parable in there that, that only he shares. It's the parable of the, of the sower. And the main point of this parable, if you have your notes out, is this, that we wait patiently for ultimate justice when Jesus will judge the world, vindicating the righteous and condemning the wicked. That we as Christians, why don't you do something? We wait with confidence for ultimate justice. When Jesus will judge the world, vindicating the righteous and condemning the wicked. What do you need to know? Number one, you need to know first that you wait for justice. That same day in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. He faced the Pharisees' Barbs, that same day he withdrew from the action only be, to be chased down by a blind man, a demon-possessed and mute man. That same day the crowds asked Jesus, could this be the son of David? That same day many of the same people cursed Jesus for being the son of Beelzebub, of Satan. Why don't you do something? You're the Messiah, for goodness sake, you say. Fix this. In the crowd that day were a group of people, four groups of people, zealots, Pharisees, Essenes, Sadducees, disciples, whole crowd. And Jesus tells them the story. The parable of the weeds is unique to Matthew. And like the parable of the sower that he tells earlier about the seed that falls on different kinds of soil, here the parable is emphasizing the presence of weeds. Like we hear stories, like we heard of Nathan's, and we wonder, Lord, why, why have you brought cancer back to the Keltner family? And the story goes, as I read about a farmer, that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this situation. It's like a, a man who sows good seed on his field, and then his men go and they fall asleep that night. 
And then an enemy comes, an enemy of this man comes, and he, he sows darnel, which in the ancient Near East was the kind of, of weed that looked just like wheat, and you couldn't tell them apart until the very end whenever the wheat began to show its heads. Darnel had black dots. The wheat didn't. You would know it eventually, but you wouldn't know it when the weed and the wheat were young. And they came back, and the servant said to the master, didn't you sow good? Didn't you create the world good? Didn't you sow good seed? And the farmer says, oh, an enemy has done this. And then the servants say, well, then we'll fix it. We want to go and we want to pull up the bad seed. And the farmer says, no, you must exercise patience. Wait for the wheat and the weeds to grow up together. Because you see, the brokenness of the world is so intertwined with its beauty that if you pull up the brokenness, you're going to pull up the beauty. Why won't Jesus, why won't Jesus heal Nathan right now? Because God knows that somehow pulling out that brokenness will also break his beauty. There's, it's not time. And notice that we wait for justice. The farmer had to wait for harvest time. The servants had to wait to pull the weeds. Later, he says two other parables. He says that the birds have to wait for the mustard seed to grow before this tiny little seed can grow a great tree where we can roost and we can nest. And he says a woman who's baking bread has to wait for her bread to rise. Waiting. It is the lost art of the Christian life. And the truth of this parable, and Jesus explains it later in verses 36 down through 43, the truth is that evil and righteousness will coexist until the final judgment. And you need to know that and be able to say it out loud because of all the anxieties you've had over the course of the week being weighed down by the brokenness of the world. You know its beauty. You long for it. You saw, you saw little Gage to long light the Bethlehem candle, and you say, yeah, I long for beauty. I long, I long for Jesus for you to come again and make everything new. And yet truth is that evil and righteousness will coexist until the final judgment. The other truth is that Jesus, the Son of Man, will separate the righteous and the wicked when he returns. When Jesus explains this parable later, if you have your Bible, you can look at verses 46, uh, 36 through 43. Jesus is very clear about what this parable means. He says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. It's a reference to himself. It's hearkening back to the Old Testament where he's talking about the son of man in Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 12, where there will be one who will come who will deliver humanity, a picture of the son of man, who will be the, the true and better king and true and better emperor. And he says, the field is the world. Jesus isn't just talking about the field being the church, and in the church they're being professing and true believers. No, Jesus, he's talking about the world as the field, the whole world, and the brokenness that exists in it. The world was created good, good seed. Those are the sons of the kingdom. Those are the ones who have my Holy Spirit, who are called to extend the beauty of my gospel through their faithful obedience and love for the saints, empowered by the covenant community of the church. And he says, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. I mean, Jesus does not pull any, he just tells you exactly what it means. 
And the harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. There'll be no more obstacles. We'll reflect God's beauty and glory like mirrors back to the world, illuminating everything by the presence of King Jesus. And in the kingdom of my Father, this will happen, Jesus says. And then he says this really interesting line. He who has ears, let him hear. Now that line, he who has ears, let him hear, is the same line that Jesus has said amidst all these other parables that he's speaking to the crowd. But now he's withdrawn. He withdraws to the house. And when he's at the house, not on the boat anymore speaking to the crowds, he's in this house. And the disciples say, okay, Jesus, help us out. Take us to seminary. Tell us what this means. And he explains to them what it means. And he says to his disciples, just like he says to the world, to the crowd, he who has ears, let him hear. I wonder if you hear it. I wonder if you had the kind of Christian hope amidst your own brokenness and beauty of the world that you have the patience to wait for him. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice because we trust in his holy name. May your steadfast love, which is the only anchor for truth for us, rest upon us, O Lord, even as we hope in you. Listen, uh, Two, waiting is harder. Waiting is harder in an instant have it now world. Waiting is harder in an instant have it now kind of world, isn't it? I mean, any of you, are, are you guys getting like sale ads on your phone that you did not ask for like every day this time of year? I mean, they just, they find your address. They make up your name and hope they get a hit. They're just like throwing that email addresses out there to try to get you to buy stuff. We're bombarded. And, and all you have to do is say, click. And the presents are going to come to your front door. And so when we who have lived in this culture in this time where we have two-day shipping, where everything comes instantaneous, we get the news. We have to wait for some courier to bring the news six months to travel across the Atlantic of what's happening in England. We get the news instantaneously. It does something to our brains, friends. It does something to our ability to practice the spiritual discipline of waiting because it is harder. It is harder for us today than it was 30 years ago to be patient. One of the hardest, most sanctifying places for you to be, oh, bless you, is to go to Walmart in the next three weeks and to start waiting in those lines. And we want to fix it. We don't want to wait. You know, what's interesting is that Jesus is preaching, he's speaking this parable, the parable of the weeds. He's speaking it to people who also want to fix it. And when he's telling the story to these Essenes, these are the people who, with the religious self-discipline, their asceticism, like they, they are the separatists who have pulled away from the world. The zealots who were there, like Simon Peter, the zealots who want to go to war. They want to bear arms and they want to take down Rome so they can reestablish the kingdom of Israel. Or the, the Pharisees who are their dutiful law keepers. 
the ones who have studied the Torah, who know it well, have developed complicated strategies for how to maintain holiness. They're in the crowd. And so are the Sadducees, which are kind of the aristocratic syncretists. They're the ones who had all the power, and yet they were sad, you see, because they syncretized all the religions. They didn't believe in Jesus' resurrection. They pick and chose different aspects of the Torah that they wanted to believe, but they didn't believe in a resurrected Messiah. And it's interesting to me as I read this parable this week, thinking about Nathan sharing and thinking about the way that I respond in my own haste, my own lack of patience. As I think about these four groups of people who are listening also to Jesus, and I think about you, and I think about me, and I think about our culture, and I think about the way that we want to hurry things up. And the truth is that we also want to hurry things up in the exact same four ways that the people who were in the crowd listening to Jesus wanted to hurry things up. The servants wanted to rush and pull up the weeds right now. How did they do it? Well, the zealots wanted to pull up the weeds right now by going to war with Rome. And today, we don't have any zealots. I don't see any zealots in the crowd. And perhaps there are the modern-day zealots. There are some culture warriors, perhaps, that hear my voice, maybe even be in this room. And the culture warriors are the ones who are saying, we're ready to bear arms. And there are good and right things for us to stand on the heart of the gospel with principles. Yes! But it is possible for you to lose your principles and just want to pursue power, and you become a culture warrior. And the modern-day zealots are our culture warriors. They're the ones who are ready to do power, to do battle. They're the revolutionaries who want to push against the resistance of whatever it is that you want to push the resistance of. You don't have the patience to wait. You want to take it into your own hands. Secondly, there are the separatists among us. There are the ones who say, well, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and so we're just going to choose the Benedict option. We're just going to pull away, and those are the Essenes. Those are the ones who pulled away. They were amazing. They were, like, they gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls. Did you know that, the Essenes? They were, they, but they were separatists. They were the ones who pulled away. They were the ones who said, we're going to live ascetic separate lives from the world. We're not going to interact with the world anymore. We're not going to be the culture warriors, but we're going to be the opposite. We're going to be the separatists. And they were just like the Essenes to whom Jesus is speaking. And they too wanted to go in and they, they wanted to pull up the weeds with the root. And Jesus says, stop. You're going to pull up the wheat if you do that too soon. Look to me. You have the culture warriors. You have the separatists. You also have, you have the religious. Those were the Pharisees who by their law-keeping and their traditions kept God on their side by their religiosity. And when I say religious, I don't just mean Christian or the way that you think about religion. You can be an atheist and be totally secular, but be radically religious because you have liturgies and you have rhythms and you have a creed that you believe that puts order into the world. And I, I wonder if you're the religious here today. Because Jesus is talking to the zealots. He's talking to the Essenes. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the culture warriors today. He's talking to the separatists. He's talking to the religious among us. And lastly, Jesus is talking to the syncretists, the Sadducees. He's talking to all the aristocratic, upper middle class, wealthy people who say, yeah, I'll take a little bit of this and I'll take a little bit of that as long as it doesn't affect my portfolio. Mm. And we slowly but surely 
have to have the Lord by the power of his Holy Spirit wake us up in some way to the revealed truth of his word that says that we wait patiently for ultimate justice when Jesus will judge the world, vindicating the righteous and condemning the wicked. What is Jesus teaching us in this passage this morning in the second Sunday of Advent? Friends, he is teaching us that we are not to be like the culture warriors or the separatists or the religious or the syncretists. We are to be people who stand on the gospel. Oh, and there may be aspects of our behavior that resembles perhaps all four of those different kinds of people and tribes in our world today. But we are to be chiefly defined by the gospel and we are to stand upon the finished work of Christ. Amen? Because we wait in hope for the Lord. I love my job, but I can't wait for Jesus to come again because I'm going to be out of work because I want him to heal my friend Nathan. And I want him to heal some of you. And I want him to put to death all the weeds that have grown up in this world. How do you wait do you wait with faithfulness? Those of you who are in tough marriages, do you wait in faithfulness, serving the Lord? How hard it is, how hard it is. You think nobody knows? Jesus knows what it's like to be married to a wayward spouse because guess what? He's married to you, the church. And he waits for you. And he's coming again for you. And he's going to redeem you. He's going to satisfy you in ways you could only dream and only imagine. And so this morning, friends, as you come to this table, you come as people who wait and you run to this table because Christ calls us to trust in his timing and his justice. That's what he wants his disciples to learn and that's what he wants us to learn. He wants us to trust in his timing and his justice. The servants had to wait. The farmer had to wait. He wants us to live in discernment. We have to recognize that though the roots of evil and righteousness are intertwined in this world, we have to recognize what is truly evil and what is truly wheat. Where's the darnel? Where's the wheat? Where are the weeds? Where's the wheat? How do we know? You know because your life is centered upon God's word. And he wants us to extend grace and seek transformation, not by being a culture warrior, not by pulling away and being separatistic, not by your religiosity, not by your syncretism, but by the power of the gospel and through no other worldly models. Friends, that is the privilege we have of being Christ's church in this world. To live as those who are different, who can wait even in the midst of cancer and in the midst of pain, because we know that ultimate justice will come when Jesus will judge the world, vindicating the righteous and condemning the wicked. You know, in the 11th century, Edward, King Edward of, Joseph, of, uh, of, of Britain, there's a story where um, in 11th century, uh, Edward the Confessor, he was the last of the Anglo-Saxon kings, and they said that he possessed the power to heal with his touch. And when J.R.R. Tolkien was trying to figure out, how do, I, how do I put together the power of Aragon's touch? He says, if you've read the Lord of the Rings, he says of Aragorn, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. 
And in medieval Britain, people would bring people to Edward the Confessor to come and heal them. And people began to give illusions of Jesus when Edward the Confessor would pray and ask the Lord's blessing over these people, taking the role of a priest for the whole country of Anglo-Saxon Britain at the time. And the difference today is that we don't have a king who says, you come to us. We have a king, friends, who in the incarnation came to us. He came into your world. He breaks into your house. He is with you in your pantry. He is with you in your kitchen. He is with you in your closet. He is with you everywhere you go. And he says, I will bring ultimate justice. Do you believe it? So pray for your friend, Nathan Keltner. Pray for your family. Pursue him in a unique way this Christmas as we light these candles because the light and life of King Jesus is coming to dispel the darkness. Hallelujah. We wait and hope for the Lord. Come to this table in faith. Let's pray.